My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. If you're in Ontario and you find yourself hanging out with someone who's never been to the province before... Try telling them that you just got to run out to the beer store real quick. You mean the corner store, they'll ask you? The grocery store? The liquor store, right? The brewery? No, no, you'll tell them. The beer store. It's called the beer store. It just sells beer. That's all. And then, when they're done laughing, they'll ask why the hell that is? And you can tell them a long story about the end of prohibition, about brewer distribution associations, about foreign acquisitions of independent Canadian brewers, and you can end it with the duopoly of the beer store, a store co-owned by two mega companies that once controlled more than 90% of all beer sales in the province. But then you can also tell them about the happy ending, about the downfall of the beer store, how it began, And how it seems that soon, at long last, Ontarians may not have just one store that sells only one thing with a few hundred inconvenient locations at which they can purchase a case of Labatt's. That day is coming. And soon, it appears, unless, of course, the beer store once again manages to somehow secure its own unlikely survival. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Josh Rubin is a business reporter with the Toronto Star. He is also a beer and whiskey judge, so he knows the industry very well. And he is the man who broke this story last week. Hello, Josh. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. You are most welcome. I'm going to ask you now, um, because anybody listening outside the province or uh, the few listeners we have outside of Canada is going to find this maybe a little strange. How would you explain the concept of the beer store in Ontario to somebody from another province or country? If the only place you could buy a burger was an outlet owned by McDonald's and Burger King, that's basically what the beer store is in Ontario for beer or or has been, you know, has been historically. How did the beer store come to be? And uh, what was the rationale behind it at the time uh, it was conceived of? It came to be in the same year that uh, Prohibition ended in Ontario. That was 1927. And after Prohibition, there was still some of that, you know, let's control the sale of booze and wine and beer. So the province ran, uh, you know, basically liquor stores, you know, like the LCBO or, or, you know, the LCBO's predecessor. Beer was kind of just too bulky and not considered quite as serious, not quite as necessary to control. Mm -hmm. So they kind of... I, I don't want to say subcontracted it because they didn't hire the brewers to do this, but basically what they did was they allowed the brewers of the time to come together and have like basically a cooperative warehouse and distribution system. And it made sense at the time because it was, it was all 
you know, locally owned breweries, basically. And, you know, there were probably a couple hundred back in the day, you know, tiny little regional things, kind of like a predecessor of today's craft movement. Right. But kind of through so many mergers and, you know, consolidation in the industry, eventually, you know, by like late 60s, early 70s, it, it was two companies which controlled it. And it's basically today, it's like 48% owned by Molson Coors and 48 percent owned by Labatt, which is, you know, owned by AB InBev, like which sells, you know, one out of every three pints sold on this planet, basically. Sleeman, which is owned by Sapporo, controls the rest. So back in the day, it started out as a not completely insane concept. But it became an insane concept? Yeah. I think even the most ardent free marketeer understands the idea of a state or provincially run liquor store. They'll be pissy about it, but they understand the concept. But when you try to explain to people that we have a privately run duopoly, which is what it was, you know, like they used to control 90% of the beer sales in this province, it blows people's brains. And frankly, every time I write a story and, you know, every time colleagues have written a story about the beer store, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, that's what you get for letting the government run something. There's still a lot of people out there, even in Ontario, who really just assume that it's a, a provincially run thing. I was going to say, I, I did for a long time until I did a story that involved it uh, a, a couple decades ago. Growing up, I assumed that it was run exactly as the LCBO was, that it, it was just the beer arm of the LCBO. Yeah, I remember a colleague, a former colleague of mine, Dana Flavel, did a, did a couple of stories on it back in the day. And there were surveys, you know, and there were Pushing 50% of people in the province, you know, would probably say, oh, yeah, that's that's government run. I've heard people explain that to Americans in the street. It's like, OK, don't jump into a total stranger's conversation. You're going to look like a lunatic. So actually, sir, you may not be aware. Yeah, no, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> no, nobody wants to be the well actually guy in public. Right. So. Um, it is not at its peak right now, it's fair to say, I think. But at its peak, how much of beer sales did the beer store control? And where else, if anywhere, could people purchase beer? It controlled north of 90% of beer sales in the province, which is massive. And the only other place that you could buy beer at all, really, was the LCBO. And uh, that was mostly for imported stuff. And the LCBO couldn't sell two fours, couldn't sell even cases of 12. You know, the most it could sell was a six pack. Hmm. In an era when most people, when they bought beer, were buying, you know, some of the domestic big brands and wanted to buy cases of it, you know, the beer store was effectively their only option. So it was only, you know, hoity-toity imports and stuff that one could get at the LCBO. What has that done for the consumer, you know, we talk about monopolies, or I guess in this case, a duopoly a lot. Uh, what has it done for uh, choice and uh, specifically for price? You know, I, I, there, there's evidence both ways on the pricing. If we look at other markets, you know, where there's private beer store sales that are not beer store equivalent, but like kind of, you know, it's like a more wide open system. You know, the, the evidence is a little bit mixed. I, I, I think for kind of the big brands, Prices will probably come down mm -hmm. for some of the smaller brands, some of the craft stuff, uh, some of the imports, which, you know, you do see some imports at uh, the beer store. I think those prices could end up getting a little bit higher because it's, mm. it's a more complicated distribution system. Like when you've got more sales channels, right? Like then and, and 
more complicated distribution systems are going to be more expensive and whoever the retailer is is one is going to want to cover the costs right so well let's talk about how the beer store has changed and uh to the point you just mentioned uh what would change if it were to go away as you reported last week first of all I said at its peak because it is no longer there. Can you explain how it has evolved and what the master framework uh, agreement is? Yeah, basically it was an agreement with the beer store's owners and the beer store and the province that allowed beer and wine sales in a limited number of grocery stores. So basically it limited the number of grocery stores to the number of beer stores. So hmm. 450, you know, which was a rough count to, of the number of beer stores in the province. With mixed success for the retailers, you know, it, it there was a fairly significant volume of beer sold in those grocery stores. I mean, like even before the master framework agreement came in, the beer store sales were dwindling because you had, you know, brewery bottle shops. The LCBO was taking a more active role in beer sales and kind of getting more interesting imports and craft beers and stuff. Right. But, you know, since the master framework agreement, uh, you know, the beer stores share of the market has dropped. I mean, the last statistics I saw were from a couple of years ago and it was like at 62%. I would not be shocked if it was in the high 50s now. Mm -hmm. If the master framework agreement expires and it doesn't get renewed, which is, you know, what the province is leaning towards or, you know, it's basically decided, but, you know, haven't announced yet. It could be virtually unlimited competition for the beer store. So with very limited competition, their share, their share of the market you know, already went down dramatically. So if you've got potentially every corner store in the province or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, you know, most grocery stores having beer sales, like can the beer store survive as a retail entity? Eh, they're not going to vanish overnight, but their long-term future, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet the, bet the farm on. How much of the beer store's decline is due to the changing nature of the beer market. I mean, I think of myself personally and a lot of people. I know you mentioned uh, the current craft brewery wave. There are now four or five places within walking distance of my home that sell their own beer out of their own storefront breweries. Um, So even with the master framework agreement in place, there's a lot of choice out there now. It's a very fair question. I, I think some of it is generational. Some of it is geographical because, you know, there's if you don't live in a big urban center, kind of, you know, you're probably more inclined to be going to the beer store because there are fewer other options out there. You know, right. there might be one grocery store, or one corner store in town um, and no craft brewery. So, you know, the beer store is kind of your option. Right. And you want to get a two, four of X or something, you know, and, and that's that's the type of person who typically shops at the beer store and whether that is the younger or uh, you know more modern contemporary consumer of beer I I don't think it is I don't know a ton of people who go for a two for you know yeah. um, you know people like the choice people like the variety people like oh hey I'll have this you know fruited sour beer or I'll have this wheat beer and a couple of these and a couple of those and totally even people who drink beer a lot of them don't want to get 24 of one thing right so and and that's kind of what the beer store's expertise is yeah sure you can get a couple cans of things out of the fridge at the front but the selection at the beer store like the broader selection is is in cases of stuff and that's just not how most people consume beer or frankly any alcohol product anymore. 
Tell me about the potential expiry of the Master Framework Agreement. This is a story you broke last week. What would it specifically mean? And how long has this been in the works? I I feel like Doug Ford has been talking about this for quite some time. (laughs) Listen, David Peterson, you know, tried to uh, get beer and wine into corner stores, you know, after the 1985 election and the breweries kind of went completely bananas and, uh, you know, managed to, you know, lobby and keep that from happening. The Master Framework Agreement is technically a 10-year agreement and can renew for another 10-year term. But it expires at the end of 2025, and the province has to give the breweries and the beer store two years' notice if they're not going to renew it, right? So basically give them time to plan for the the brave new world, right? So right. Doug Ford basically, you know, introduced legislation in 2019, you know, saying he was going to, you know, rip it up effectively. And the brewery said, whoa, 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 you know, and fired a couple of rockets via legal letter to the province saying, you can't do this. We've got this signed agreement, yada, yada, and, you know, threatened to sue. There were figures tossed around, you know, like hundreds of millions, up to a billion dollar lawsuit. And, you know, at that point, province kind of backed off a little bit. But, you know, that that was basically their telegraphing the fact that they had no intention of renewing it. And then COVID happened and then the province started opening things up for, for restaurants to have bottle shops and stuff. So that was another, you know, chunk of the market that the beer store no longer controlled. So, you know, the closer we got to this point, the less leverage the beer store had in discussions with the province about the changing market, right? Mm. Because like they could say, fine, you know, we're going to blow it all up. We're going to do what we want in 2025 and there's nothing you can do about it. So I think since 2019, there kind of been on and off conversations between the province and the brewers about, you know, what role could there be for for the beer store? And, uh, you know, frankly, they don't, the brewers don't have a ton of leverage, you know, uh, as, as we get to, as we get to the deadlines. You mentioned there's still kind of a a market for what the beer store provides uh, to a limited extent, but there's no way the beer store could survive the loss of that agreement, right? I don't think that the long-term chances of them surviving are very good, you know, like as a retail entity. But what they do have that is very functional and, you know, how profitable it is, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, they've got a very strange set of, financial statements. And I'm not accusing them of skullduggery or anything, but it's just like not, it's not the standard corporate statement, but their distribution system is very, very efficient. They distribute to thousands of restaurants across the province. Right. So, you know, I, I could see them kind of having a role in distribution of beer to, to restaurants. The other thing that beer store supporters always talk about as, you know, one of the things, oh God, what would we do if the beer store disappeared is what, what do we do with our empties? Okay. That was my next question. This is like the only place in Ontario that actually supports the money back for beer bottles, which if you live in a city and see people combing through recycling cans is a tiny little subset of the economy, but it's real. I'm looking out at my recycling bin right now. There's somebody going through them looking for, you know, for bottles and cans. So yes, it's a well-run system, but here's the thing. The Ontario Deposit Return Program, the the province subcontracted with the beer store to run it. So could they remove the beer store's exclusivity and say, throw it open to other retailers? Absolutely. And and if those retailers have two years to kind of plan for that, you know, they they could do it. I mean, like a lot of grocery stores, for example, 
are already starting to kind of contemplate recycling programs for a ton of packaging, like not just, you know, not just alcohol packaging. Recycling is, I would argue, to, vital to the planet's future, but, you know, it's kind of being built into consumer products now. You know, like there, there's a lot of talk about producer responsibility. Oh, we just did an episode on producer responsibility and the impact it's having uh, or isn't having. It's an interesting way of uh, looking towards the future. Absolutely. And, you know, whether it's producer responsibility or some other model, to say that nobody else could run a recycling program is, you know, that, that, that flies in the face of reality. You know, there's a lot of other jurisdictions around the world where, you know, there's a deposit return system and it isn't, you know, run by a private monopoly or a duopoly. Although the beer store brags about it and uses, you know, kind of uses it as one of their strong points, which, you know, they, they do a good job. But to me, I think the biggest blowback the, the provincial government would get, and this is, you know, possibly what they're still trying to figure out is what happens to the employees, right? You know, there, there, there's 7,000 people who work for the beer store. Right. That's 7,000 voters, um, you know, 7,000 voters with a union. They're good, well-paid union jobs. And if you think about when the master framework agreement is expiring, you know, 2025, if all of a sudden you have 7,000 people being put out of work and big companies with deep pockets kind of losing one of their main outlets, mm -hmm. you think they wouldn't buy some third-party advertising heading into the next provincial election? Although that's not their main reason for, you know, kind of not having figured things out just yet, but that's definitely in the back of their mind. So, you know, I think we'll see the beer store gets some kind of role, whether it's the deposit return program or still keeping their uh, distribution system around. What's the reaction been uh, since you published this piece last week? And you mentioned kind of the last time uh, the province mentioned doing something like this. Uh, there was a lot of dust kicked up by uh, the retailers, the beer store people and, and the lobbyists that they've got. Um, what's it been like this time? Is it still that fierce? Absolutely. I mean, there's still a lot of discussion. I think it's clear that the province is going to say they're not renewing the master framework agreement. And now there's some sense of, of what the breweries have been pushing for. You know, they're, they, they want to keep the deposit return program because, you know, they make a bit of money on it, but also it's a way to get people in stores too, right? So I think we could see that happen. They're pushing very hard for that to happen. I, I think they realize that they don't have a ton of leverage to kind of say, okay, you can't open it up to corner stores. You can't open it up to a lot of other retailers. They're not fools. They, they know that that's not likely. But I think that they have been lobbying very hard to keep, you know, whatever role they can keep in uh, the alcohol retail system in this province. Josh, thanks for this. It's a, it's a fascinating little world, uh, alcohol in Ontario. And thanks for walking us through it. Thanks for having me on. Really, really enjoyed it. Josh Rubin, business reporter at the Toronto Star, but that's not his best job because he's also a beer and whiskey judge. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You know this by now. If you want to talk to us about anything, if you'd like to give us feedback on an episode or suggest a topic of your own, the way to do that is on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN or via email, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or with a voicemail, left by calling 416-935-5935. If you want the big story on a smart speaker, just lean back and say, play the Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.